morning, familia. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Hannibal, and I, and I know I have a famous name. Um, if you never heard of the name fam- uh, Hannibal, it is famous because in history, there was a man named Hannibal the Great, which was one of the greatest North African generals, generals who ever existed. Did you know that? Unfortunately, not a lot of people know that. <laughs> so when they hear the name Hannibal, oh, Hannibal. <laughs> so when they hear the name Hannibal, what they remember is the serial killer, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, which he was kind of an animal. He ate people. And that's unfortunate. So I actually think that the, part of the reason why the Lord named me Hannibal is because he wants to redeem that name. <laughs> We're going to see if that's true. We want to welcome you all to the, our third week of Advent, and today, as you already heard, we're going to be talking about joy, and for that, we're going to be looking into Psalm 16. So if you have your Bible, please go there. If not, we're going to put the verses on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word as a sign of reverence to Him and His Word. This is Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom in all is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. Verse 8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad. And my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. How about we read verse 11 together? You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. You may take a seat. So today, I'm going to try to answer three different questions. What is joy? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? What is it? Why we need it? How we get it? Let's go with the first question. What is joy? Psalm 16 is an interesting psalm because it was written by King David. Someone that had all kinds of spiritual and emotional experiences. But the fact that I, the, but the reason why I chose this psalm is because David has a really good understanding of what joy is in light of the Bible. That joy, uh, that David makes a clear distinction between the joy that, that God gives and the joy that other things and other places and other philosophies and other religions give. So, for example, in verse 11. Look at what David says. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. 
And I think that David is using these two words, joy and pleasures, in order for us, uh, in order for them to complement one another and for us to get like a full picture of what biblical joy looks like. So, for example, the word joy in the original can be translated as a feeling, something that you feel happy, or as an attitude. In other words, joy could be a feeling or an attitude or a feeling and an attitude at the same time. But the word pleasure in the text is also important because he says that part of this joy is that we feel pleasure. It feels lovely, delightful. It produces happiness. Once again, David is describing joy as either a feeling or an attitude or a feeling and an attitude. And that's important for you to keep in mind because it tells you that the joy that God gives affects your mind and your emotions, affects your mind, your emotions, and your will, affects your entire being, is this sense, is a sense, this understanding that regardless of what we go through, it is possible to experience cheerfulness, gladness, delight, happiness, regardless of what you go through. So the question is, why would I use the phrase regardless of what you go through? Well, in order for you to understand that, you have to see how David then describes this joy. And I'm going to give you three things there that how David describes joy, which makes this joy completely different to everything else. The joy that a Christian has is divine, not circumstantial, and complete. The joy that David talks about is divine, not circumstantial, and complete. So why divine? Look at what it says in the second part of verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. If you like to underline your Bible, that will be a word to underline. Because notice that it says that God does not, quote unquote, give joy. It tells you that God is joy. That joy flows of who he is. That joy is something that he is part of his, na is part of his nature. That is not something we work for and is not something we create. It flows from him. I want to make the argument that when you struggle with worry or anger or bitterness or impatience, is because you either don't understand that joy comes from the presence of God, or you forget that we are always in the presence of God, or you are not spending time in the presence of God. Let me say it again. Worry, anger, bitterness, and impatience are the opposite of joy. And we struggle with that when we are not aware of the presence of God or spend time before the presence of God or we reject the presence of God. So if you have been a believer for a while, you probably know that that is true. That when the presence of God is not there, at least not in your mind and heart, you start to struggle. Actually, I could say that that is true for me. Many times. See, when I don't spend one day with the Lord, I start to feel the lack of joy. 
When I spend time with the Lord, maybe two to three days, my family gets to notice that I'm not spending time with the Lord. When I go a whole week without spending time with the Lord, the church notices that I'm not spending time with the Lord. You see what I mean? <laughs> Actually, two weeks ago, um, kind of a, an example here. Two weeks ago, I, I was struggling for something. I'm with something. And um, so I go home during my lunchtime, and, and Heidi is there, and uh, we're we, we having lunch together. And for about 20 minutes, man, I'm just complaining about everything in life. You know, blah, 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 blah. You know, eat, uh, blah, 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 eat, blah, 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 blah. And Heidi's just looking at me quiet, and she's eating her thing. By the end of the 20 minutes, she just looks at me, and she says, did you spend time with God? And I'm like, no. Maybe you need to spend time with God. And I was like, okay, mommy, you know. <laughs> but she was right. It's impossible for anybody to experience the joy the Bible talks about if the presence of God is not there. The presence of God is divine because it comes from him. It's not something that he just gives. It's who he is. And the more time we spend with him, the more that becomes a reality. Now, this is amazing here. That because of the, the joy of God comes from the presence of God. And the presence of God never goes away. And the presence of God is always present. Then the joy of the Christian is also not circumstantial. You know what I mean by that? It's not bound to any circumstance. Let me show you where I get that from. Verses uh, 2 and verse 5. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Verse 5, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Two beautiful expressions that say kind of the same thing. In verse, four, in verse 2, it says that regardless of what we're going through, nothing is better than God. That regardless of what you go through, nothing is better than God. And in verse 5, says that regardless of what you go through, God is always your wealth, that's the word portion, and God is always the ultimate pleasure, that's the word cup. Regardless of what you go through. Remember what I told you that joy, it could be a feeling or an attitude? Meaning that even if you don't feel joy, that doesn't mean that joy is not there because presence is there. The presence of God is there. This will be one of the main differences between the joy the Bible talks about and any other joy people talk about. The joy that the Christians have are never bound to anything or anybody, never bound to any circumstance. It's always there. Once again, I think that this is one of the differences between Christianity and any other philosophy or religion in the world. Actually, let, let me do a couple of examples here. In this room, there are two groups of people. Those of you that grew up in a traditional setting or a traditional culture, and those of you that are growing up or are part of a modern culture, both groups offer joy. None of those groups give you the joy of the Bible. 
So for example, if you're part of the traditional setting or traditional culture, uh, people tell you that your joy is bound, um, is bound to the happiness of your parents. For example, that if you want to be happy, you got to obey your parents. That if you want to be happy, you got to obey what the community says. That if you want to be happy, you got to fulfill the traditions. You know what the problem is with that? That if your parents are not happy, if your culture is not happy, and your traditions are not, traditions are not going well, what happens to your happiness? And then you got a group of people that are living, constantly living, trying to get people approval so they feel happiness. And that's exhausting. Trying to live a life in which you need people's approval in order for you to be happy. Ain't that sad? Modern people say, yeah, that's sad. That's why we offer another solution. So the traditional people are bound to parents or community and traditions, but the modern people say, forget all of that. If you want to be happy, just think about yourself. You create your own happiness. You don't need people's opinions. You get to create who you want to be. You know what's the problem with that? That we all know that it doesn't matter how much you try and what you do, and how much you conquer, and as much as you want to find happiness in your, you making yourself up and you looking for happiness, you never arrive, and if you arrive, it fades away. So what then? See, modern culture which says, well, if it didn't work the first time, try harder. And if you weren't able to do it the first time, do it the second time. Try harder, try harder, push harder, conquer more. But what happens? You just never arrive. The modern, the traditional group is not the solution. The modern group is not the solution. This is part of the reason why I think that our society is full of angry people. Because if this doesn't work and this doesn't work, then it has to be somebody else's problem. It has to be the system. It has to be things outside of me that does not allow me to be happy. You know what the problem is? You are looking for joy in all the wrong places. I think that this is part of the reason why we have also a society that is full of desperate people, frantically looking for things that will give me happiness. You know what the problem is with that? You're looking for joy in all the wrong places. I think that this is part of the reason why in our society there's a whole group of people that I will put under, I will put under the category of self-hating people. And I would actually argue that self-hating people are the product of this modern society. Why would I say that? Think about it this way. If modern society says, you create your own happiness, you can make it happen. Just do it, says Nike. And you try. And you try. And you try. And you never get it. What do you think people think? Then there's got to be something wrong with me. I wonder if this is part of the reason why in our individualistic society, depression, loneliness, anxiety, and suicide continue to be a big issue. 
Maybe, 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 just maybe, you believe the lie that the traditional group have told you and the modern group have told you. The joy that Christianity offers is different to everything else. It's a joy that comes from the presence of God, and it's a joy that is not bound to anybody or anything. It's a joy that cannot be taken away if God is present. So this joy is not only divine, and this joy is not only not circumstantial, but the Bible says also that this joy is complete. Look at what it says in verse 11 once again. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. The word fill there is complete. Complete satisfaction, complete fulfillment, complete contentment, regardless if you have lost it all. Regardless if you don't have anybody with you. Regardless if you're sick. Regardless if you're, gonna, you're about to die. That is the only possible explanation and why Paul wrote a whole letter talking about joy when he's in prison and he knows that he's going to die. You know, I would have never written that. I would have never written that letter. I would have wrote a different letter. Five ways to escape prison. That would be the letter. <laughs> but that's why Paul is an apostle and I'm just a pastor. <laughs> because he knew that the joy that comes from the presence of God is divine, not circumstantial, and he fully satisfies even if you're in prison and even if you're about to die. Don't you think that you need that today? You know, every Christmas, every time we're thinking about the, the, the preaching series and the topics that we're going to talk about, every Christmas I struggle during this season. You know why? Because every year we talk about the same topics. And in my heart, it's always like, man, we should preach something different. And everybody else in my team says, no. There is a reason why during Christmas season we preach the same sermons. At least the same topics. You know what the reason is? That Christians still don't get it. You're still searching for joy. I'm still searching for joy. And we need to listen to this until we believe it. So, I would say that joy is something we need. Which leads me to my second question. Why is it that joy is something we need? And I'm going to make two arguments that prove why is it that we cannot live without joy? Why is it that we all need joy? Reason number one. The number one evidence, in my opinion, why is it that we know that we need joy is because we are constantly looking for it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow this concept from C.S. Lewis. Look at what he says. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Now pay attention to this. If I find in myself a desire with which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
I'm going to grab that principle and apply it to joy. If as human beings we continue to look for joy in created things, and nothing is enough, it's probably because we were designed to find joy only in the presence of God. And that's why we keep looking for it. And that's why nothing is enough. I wonder, I wonder if that's the reason why it doesn't matter how much you conquer and you achieve is never enough. I wonder if that's the reason why we can never stop. I wonder if that's the reason why we continue to exchange people for things. I wonder if that's the reason why we always need something new. A new car, a new look, a new job, a new house, and sometimes a new family. I wonder if this is the reason why sometimes we feel that life is boring. Maybe, 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 just maybe, you're still looking for joy in all the wrong places. And the second reason why I think that joy is something we need is because we continue to struggle with idolatry. We continue to use good things that the Lord gives and we elevate them to the position of an idol. See, in the text, King David is talking about God. And he says that God is amazing and powerful. And he talks about all these things that God is and God does. But right almost in the middle of the text, he puts verse 4, which at the beginning it doesn't make any sense. He's talking about God and then he says this. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. And you have to ask the question, why would David put that there? I think that part of the reason why David puts that there is because he knows that either we find joy in the presence of God or we're going to look for another God to give us the joy that we're looking for. Did you notice the word run? It doesn't say that you walk to other gods. It doesn't say that you're trying to buy other gods. It doesn't say that you try to meditate on other gods. It says that we run to other gods. The word run in the text can be translated as to chase or to choose. And it says that someone that does not find joy in the presence of God will run, will chase, and will choose anything else because you are so desperately looking for that joy. But if there's something we all know, is that that never works. I've been a pastor long enough and I'm old enough to know that idolatry is something that we struggle forever. You want me to prove it to you? You got to say yes. yes. All right. <laughs> Let me walk you through your journey in life. When you were little, the gods you were running after were your parents or your toys and you didn't find what you were looking for. 
So you went, when you became an adolescent, the gods you were running after were your friends and your toys. But you still didn't find what you were looking for. When you became a teenager, the gods you were running after were your looks, your independence, your freedom, your popularity, your grades, and your toys. And you still didn't find what you were looking for. When you became a young adult, the gods you were running after were your recognition, your education, relationships, self-sufficiency, beauty, and your toys. And you still didn't find what you were looking for. You become a full-blown adult, and the gods you're running after are your career, your position, your family, and your toys. And you still haven't found what you're looking for. You become a maturing adult, and the, guys, and the gods you're running after are to be respected, to have influence, to have recognition, to be appreciated, and your toys. And you still haven't found what you're looking for. And people die not ever finding what they were looking for. Is that you? At times, that's me. And did you notice that David said that those of us that pursue idolatry suffer more and more? See, that's the, that's the irony of idolatry. That's the foolishness and the stupidity of idolatry. You are pursuing things that cannot give you the joy you want. And we know it. And yet we pursue it. Why would David say that we suffer more and more? Well, because we put in our hope in promise. Idols have the tendency to promise things that they cannot deliver. That's what an idol does. See, we suffer because we give ourselves to these idols, and at the end, we're still empty. That's what an idol does. We suffer because we want to give more, and we have to give more, and at the end, you're never satisfied. That's what an idol does. We suffer because we sacrifice everything that matters, and at the end, nothing is enough. That's what an idol does. I wonder if this is the reason why St. Augustine said, restless is our heart until it comes to resting you. And I would say, joyless is our heart until it comes to find joy in you. Church, can you see why we always got to preach the same sermons every year? Because there's not one person in this room or worshiping with us online that does not struggle with idolatry. The foolishness of idolatry. When true, divine, ultimate, not circumstantial, fulfilling joy is available to us 24-7 because the presence of God is always with us. Question. How do we get that joy? So I'm going to give you we're going to do uh, three practical applications here. 
Three things that you ought to consider and practice in order for you to allow the joy that comes from the presence of the Lord to really impact your mind and your heart. Number one, you got to learn how to enjoy life, but you have to remember that everything that is good in life and produces happiness is not the destination. See, I believe that everything good that you have, everything that the Lord gave us is always good because it comes from God. Our problem is that we confuse those temporary short happiness with the ultimate one. See, I'm borrowing this from C.S. Lewis as well. He used to say that all these things that are good in our lives are supposed to be like signposts that points us to the true destination, which is Jesus, God, his presence, his joy. So the principle is simple. Enjoy life, but don't turn it into an idol. Listen, enjoy your family, enjoy your car, enjoy your house, enjoy your job, enjoy your friends, and enjoy your body. But remember that that is not your ultimate destination. That's just a signpost. When you get stuck there, that's when you become, you make all those things an idol. And you settle for lesser joy. I told you before that I don't, I don't like sweets. I don't, I mean, I eat them, but it's not like if I, you know, I could do without them. So if you put in front of me cheesecake, for example, that I know that a lot of you guys have turned that into an idol, <laughs> and you put next to it a steak, for me, eating a cheesecake is settling for a lesser God. <laughs> you always have to choose. You would always run for that thing that you think is best. And as Christians, we run, we choose, and we chase God because nothing is better than him. Time and time again. Don't settle for less. Principle number two. You got to run after God, but not so he can give you joy. What? Chase God, but not so he could give you joy. This is the difference between religion and Christianity. See, religion says if you behave, if you do well, if you go to the Bible, if you read, if you give money, if you serve, if you go to the Christmas store, if you do all that stuff, God is going to give you joy. Christianity says the opposite. We do all of those things because we have joy. Go to God and joy comes with him. When you are seeking for God for him to give you something, he is just an instrument to you. But God is the ultimate joy. You get him, you get everything else. And number three, remember Advent. Because Advent is the remembrance of the joy of your salvation. See, this is part of the reason why we do this during this season. See, during Advent, we remember that Jesus came. We remember that Jesus came, that is the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us. See, during this season, we remember that Jesus is God with us, that came to bring the joy that we so much needed. 
See, during this season, we remember that the joy that Jesus brings is a joy that was free to us but costly to him. See, during this, reason, during this season, we must remember that our joy, that it was that he came to give us joy in exchange of his cross. See, during this, this season, we remember that it was joy that sent him to the cross. That's why Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, during this season, we remember that it was his joy to give us forgiveness. And we remember that it was his joy to give us joy. See, it is during this season that we must remember that he came and he went to the cross so he could out, can always be at our right hand. I don't know if you noticed, but in verses 8 and 11, that phrase is used twice. You know what that means? If you were in court, the person on your right hand will be your advocate, someone that represents you. And during Advent season, we remember that Jesus came to be our advocate. That he already represented us before the Father, and now he stands at our right hand. You know why that's important? Because everything that takes our joy away, he already fixed. And he's standing at your right, right hand to remind you and remember you and remind you of the things that you already have. So listen up. If your sin is keeping you from your joy, Jesus says, remember, I already died for your sins. So if your guilt is keeping you from joy, Jesus says, remember, because of what I do, I did, you are already forgiven. If your loneliness is keeping you from joy, Jesus says, remember, I'm always with you until the end of the earth. And if your shame is keeping you from joy, Jesus says, remember, you don't need to hide you already have been accepted in me. See, in Advent, we must remember Jesus. Because in Jesus, we get the joy of our salvation, David says. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that the more you embrace that, the more you're going to stop searching for joy in all the wrong places. This is part of the reason why Spurgeon used to say, take us to the cross and leave us there. Because if you think and meditate and embrace who Jesus is and what he did for you, the less power everything else has over your heart. Is that you? May the Lord grant you to experience joy the way, the way the Bible talks about. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray verse 11 over us as a congregation. I pray, Lord, that you make uh, known to us the path of life. I pray, Lord, that you will fill us with the joy of your presence, the presence that is in Jesus Christ and the presence that comes with the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we may get to experience the pleasure of what it means to have this divine joy 
not circumstantial joy and a satisfying, complete joy. Lord, we need that so bad. Because without it, Lord, we, we will continue to pursue and chase and run and choose things that are not, that are less things than you. Lord, please keep us from suffering because of our idolatry. And help us to see you and embrace you and love you in such a way that everything we want and are looking for, we find in you. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says.